to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We are continuing our Bible study series on answering tough questions answering tough questions. We've dealt with a number of them, and um, tonight the question is, can a Christian lose his salvation? I worded the title that way because that's the way it's often worded when you hear that question or that issue. I don't like the wording of that, not just because of what it stands for, but I just happen to believe that whether you believe one side or the other, we're going to talk about both sides of it and, and, and that kind of thing, that salvation is not something you just lose, like, oh, I forgot where I put it. You know what I'm saying? It's a very serious thing. It's not just something that's like, oh, what did I do with that? Or it's kind of slipped away or, or, or something like that. But again, that is the way it's often referred to. So I did name it that way. But but what do we mean by that question? Maybe you've wrestled with that before. Maybe you've talked to people about it before. Um, maybe you know exactly what you believe. Maybe you're not sure what you believe. But what do we mean when we ask the question, can a Christian lose their salvation? So you did a great job explaining how we're saved, okay, and the assurance we have of that when we turn to Jesus as our Savior, but when we ask this question, can a Christian lose his salvation, what are we actually asking? Yeah, that's a good, good way to put it in very common, easy to understand terms. If you are a Christian, you surrendered your life to Christ, you're trusting Him in salvation, can you ever do anything, can anything happen in your life that that condition is not permanent, that you are no longer saved, that you will not go to heaven? So that's a, a great way to put it. And, and, and Carlton, I wasn't making fun of you. Sometimes I don't ask questions well enough or in the right words to make it very easy to understand what I'm asking, okay? So, um, I put it this way, is it possible for a person who was once saved to end up lost? Okay, but Candace did a great job. Now, my next question was, how would you answer? We know what Carlton says. He says no. Okay, how many of you would agree with Carlton that if you um, are saved, uh, if you have been truly saved, that you could never end up in a situation where you're not saved anymore? Okay, several of you. How many of you say it is possible for somebody to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and there could be things that would happen, there would be things in their life or whatever that would bring them to the place where they are no longer in right relationship with God and headed to heaven? How many would say that? We're about half and half. And I will tell you that this issue has been debated by common people, lay people, pastors and theologians for 2,000 years. Okay, and both sides are believed by very strong Bible-believing Christians who believe fully in salvation through Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're not going to settle this issue totally 100% for everybody's satisfaction tonight. But it is an important question. On your note sheet here under the introduction, I said, put this, the doctrine that deals with this is called perseverance or the security of the believer perseverance, or the security of the believer. Basically, it's dealing with, will the Christian, kept by the grace of God, successfully endure all the trials and temptations of this life and remain true to the Lord until death? If so, on what basis is this so? Now, let me just say this, that by the time we get to the end of this, whichever way you believed, you might have started thinking about it a different way. You may still be firmly where you are and what you believe about, you may have changed your mind. The point is, is the main thing is that we know that we're saved and that we do everything we can to live for Jesus. And that's what we're going to end with tonight. All right. But the two main views and they're kind of like extremes, and I think there's something kind of in the middle. That's why the third point I have done is the balance view, um, are the Calvinist view and the Arminian view. That's the theological term because the Calvinist view is based on what John Calvin taught and preached and the Arminian view is one that was originally kind of with a guy by the Joseph Arminius, but it was really uh, put forward by the uh, John Wesley and a number of others. John, you had a question or comment? Well, where did the term backslide come from? Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's a very good question um, as far as the term backslider. How does that fit into this? And it depends on which camp you're in. Okay, we're going to dig more deeply into the beliefs of the two. But if you're a Calvinist and you're a backslider, you're still saved. You're just not living with Jesus. If you're Arminian and you're a backslider, you walked away from your relationship with God and you need to get get right with him. Now, both would say you need to get right with Jesus. It's just the Calvinists would say, well, in the process, you've not. I mean, if you were to die, you'd still go to heaven. Whereas Arminian would say, no, you have, depending on what you mean by backsliding and the extent to which backsliding had taken place, you got to get right with Jesus because you're not on your way to heaven. So let's talk about the two different views to kind of clarify what those are, okay? So first of all, we have the Calvinist view, again, uh, based kind of on the teachings of John Calvin. And I I got this out of a theological book, and that's why it's in quotes. And this is what the Calvinist view is. And, and, and then before I read this, let me just say that there are people that believe very strongly to the extreme, and then there are some that are kind of... It's kind of a spectrum. It's not necessarily either or. It's kind of a spectrum. Put it that way. Uh, Calvinist view. Those whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. I know that sounds really theological, that kind of stuff. But basically what it says is if you are truly saved... You will always, no matter what, be truly saved. Okay? I gotta tell you this story. Oh, uh, let me put this on your note sheet. Uh, this is often called once saved, always saved. I gotta tell you this story. I heard this years ago and I couldn't deal with this topic without telling about this. So there's this man and he wanted an extra good shave, so he went to a barber. And the barber says, if you want an extra good shave, you gotta let my wife give you a shave. So he sat down in the chair, his wife came out, she gave him a shave, and it was one of the best shaves he'd ever had. Her name was Grace. He says, that's great, you know, that's great. Um, The best shave I've ever gotten. Her husband was bragging, I said, well, you've never really been shaved unless you've been shaved by Grace. (laughs) And so I thought, i got to come back here every once in a while and get shaved by Grace again. But the next morning he got up and it's like no whiskers had grown. He thought, wow, that was a really good shave. The next day, he got no whiskers. A week later, no whiskers. He goes to his barber. He says, I don't understand this. Ever since your wife, Grace, shaved me, I, I've not... He says, and the guy says, well, does it, it make sense? He says, because when you've been shaved by Grace, you're once shaved, always shaved. So, anyway. <laughs> not making light. Okay. The extreme Calvinist view. Okay, and and people that are Calvinists, um, and, and this is not... Anyway, a lot of Baptists are Calvinists. Most Baptists are Calvinists, okay? And a number of other denominations, okay? The extreme Calvinists, they've got these five points of doctrine. It's called TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. And basically what it comes down to is that God determined from eternity past who would be saved and who wouldn't be. And the people that are going to be saved will be saved. And the people he determined wouldn't be will not be. And that in his, in the process of history and everything that happened, Jesus still had to come and die on the cross so that people could be saved because they had to pay the price for it. But the individual has nothing really to do with it in the sense that, you know, one of the truths we have is that we would never come to God unless God drew us himself. Okay? And the Calvinists would say that That is definitely true. The Arminians would say that was true too. But the Calvinists would say, but God only draws certain people to himself. And if he does, you can't resist it. You will respond. You really don't have a choice. Okay? And um, you will respond. And because God is the one that drew it, he determined that things like predestination are are brought in there and, and that kind of stuff. And he predetermined it that you can't refuse that. And therefore, there's nothing you can do that you're going to lose that. All right? And that is the extreme Calvinist. I'll just say there are people that are Calvinists that don't go quite to that extreme. They kind of go back off. It's called five-point Calvinism, these five things. And some people say, oh, I'm only a four-point Calvinist. I'm only a three-point Calvinist. I'm only a two. You know, because I believe I, I agree with some of them and, and not some of the others. Okay. So anyway, what's really, really interesting is a man that I greatly respect. He's a great author. His name is Randy Alcorn. And um, he's written a lot of great books but he was teaching a college class one time, and he was talking about this subject. 
And um, he asked the question, I asked at the beginning, how many of you believe the one way class voted the other? He divided them into two groups, and he had them get into their groups with those that believe the one way, those that believe the other way, and he gave them a list of 20 scriptures to read out loud in their group. And so he did, and both groups got really mad because he gave them the scriptures that seemed to indicate that what they believed was wrong. Because that's what it really comes down to. There are scriptures on both sides of this issue that if you take that scripture all by itself, it seems really clear. But you put all the scriptures together and it's not really clear. So we're going to look at some of these scriptures. So the Calvinist view of the once saved, always saved, that God calls, God determines, um, he draws you, you respond, and it's permanent. It can never change, all right? And we're only going to, you may see a lot of scriptures on your note sheet. We're not going to read them all in case you're wondering how in the world are we going to get through all this. We're not going to read all those out loud. But we are going to read a good sample. The first one is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, in the last time, yeah. And so it says, you know, we praise God because he saved us through Jesus, his mercy, his grace. You know, we got this living hope, all right? Um and this inheritance that's kept for us, it's already guaranteed, and it's by his power that we are guarded. So we can be sure that we're going to get there. Okay? Now, all that is true. No. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? John chapter 6, verses 37 to 39. Jesus says, all, talking about people, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Okay, We're going to read one more. John 10, verses 27 and 29. Jesus speaking again. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now, if you take those verses, and there's some other verses too, okay, and that's all that you have, it's like, okay, well, however it happens, if I'm saved... There ain't nothing that's going to take that away from me. There's nothing I can do. I mean, it's it's just permanent. It's it's guaranteed. I mean, isn't that the way those verses come across? Well, you're looking at it. Where are you going with this? <laughs> All right. So, what would be a danger of this view if it's taken to an extreme? Amanda? Yeah, people could think of, well, you know what? If I prayed to ask Jesus to be my Savior, it's guaranteed. I can do whatever I want, you know, because I'm going to heaven. And there are a lot of people out there. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean that they are true to this belief system. Please understand that, okay? Because this belief system is not saying you can do whatever you want and be saved, all right? But there are plenty of people that say, well, I'm good. I'm going to heaven because I said a prayer when I was a 12-year-old boy, and I've been living like, you know what, ever since. But that's okay. I'm saved. You know? Yeah. So that is a possible danger. How do you think, maybe you are one, but how do you think a Calvinist, someone who believes this, would respond to that? To somebody say, well, what about that person that said, well, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, and now they're just living out there, and it's like, doesn't even, doesn't even look like they know anything about God. In fact, they even say, I don't even believe in God anymore. How would you respond? How do you think someone that would have this belief system might would respond to that? Amanda? 
Okay, exactly. They say, you know, the person thought they were saved, but they never really were. Okay? Now, I'll just throw this out there. If you're like me, you may know people in your life, okay, family members, friends, or whatever, that you have a deep assurance that at one time they really knew God. But they're not living for God now. In fact, some of you say, I don't even, I, I don't even believe there is a God. Okay? The Calvinists would say, well, you know what? They were kind of in the church and they said the right things and did the right things, but they never really came to know Jesus. Okay? John. And that's the other scripture I have down there, Matthew seven fifteen to 22 on your note sheet. No, no, that's good. You're, you're leading right into it. And that would be one of the things the Calvinists would say. See, there Jesus even talked about people that put on a good show. Okay? But if you read that in context, it also says that even though they said that and they did certain things, you can still tell by their fruit. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus said that even though they did the right things, they said the right things, that they he never they never truly had a relationship. So in that case, the Calvinists would have a good point, that there are people who can go through life, they can do the right thing, they can say the right thing, they can even do, in some cases, the miraculous, and Jesus says, but you don't really have a relationship with me. So that would add to the Calvinist side of it, okay? So let's look at the other side, though, all right? And we'll try to balance it out here in a little bit. The Arminian view. Again, I think this was put forward, this idea was kind of, you know, written about, put forward by Joseph Arminius, but uh, the Wesley brothers, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, uh, were along this way, uh, along this direction, okay? Um, The Arminian view, on the note sheet there, it says, Since God created man with a free will, just as an individual can choose salvation by trusting in Jesus Christ that same individual can forfeit his salvation by choosing to no longer trust in Jesus Christ. The Calvinist view is based on the sovereignty of God, which we all believe in. The sovereignty of God means God is God. He can do whatever he wants. All right? But yet there is this thing of free will. The ultra, ultra, ultra Calvinist almost denies free will. We don't really have a choice. God determined. God draws. You can't resist you know, the the eye and tulip is irresistible grace. You can't resist. It's just going to, you know. Um, whereas on the Arminian side, they emphasize that man does have free will. All right? Since God created man with a free will, just as an individual can choose salvation by trusting in Jesus Christ, that same individual can forfeit his salvation by choosing to no longer trust in Jesus Christ. And again, there are scriptures that make it sound like you can have a relationship with God, and then you can, I don't like it, lose it. You can abandon it. You can walk away from it. And I'll give you a couple here. And again, we're only going to read a couple. We're going to read a half of them, okay? Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5, and then 10 to 13. This is when Jesus is talking to his disciples about the end times and what's going to happen between his time and the end, Okay? He says, see that no one leads you astray. What does that mean? Because it could mean just get you off path and you get back on. How far off path? But keep going. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Jumping down to verse 10. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. If you look at that on the surface of it, it's like, okay, there's going to be people that's going to deceive, and if you're not careful, you can be led astray. What does that mean to be led astray? When he says here, they'll fall away, they're going to betray one another, they're going to hate one another, okay? Um, Their love will grow cold, but... If you endure to the end, you'll be saved. And it seems to indicate that if you're one of those that are led astray, you allow yourself to have that happen, and your life is filled then with lawlessness and no love and hatred and all that kind of stuff, then you haven't endured to the end, and you're not going to be saved. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 20 to 23. Paul is writing, he says, And you who once were alienated, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So Paul is basically saying, listen, Jesus has saved you and you're good. And one day you'll stand before God holy and blameless and above reproach if you continue in your faith, which seems to indicate that it might be possible for you not to continue in your faith. That it might be possible for you shift to shift from the hope of the gospel. Yeah, apostasy is a, is a term that's used to that. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you, and he's talking to believers here, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, okay, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He says, we have come to share in Christ, which would indicate to me that we're believers. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, which seems to indicate that maybe we won't hold our confidence firm to the end. If we choose not to. A couple more. Um, Paul himself is giving his own testimony. 1 Corinthians 9.27 I discipline my body and keep it under control. Um, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's talking about living for Jesus. And it's a battle. and it's a, we, gotta, we gotta work at it. You know, we gotta live for him. He said, I have to really watch myself. Lest after doing all this work for God, somehow I've missed out. One more. Revelation twenty two nineteen, And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. That indicates, okay, they're people, they've got their name in the, uh, I'm sorry, they, they have a share in the tree of life, they have a share in the holy city that's to come, but God may take their take um, take away their share in that because of what they do or don't do. Right? And then there's other scriptures there. You got them on your note sheet: First Corinthians ten eleven and, uh, verses eleven and twelve, Hebrews two one, Hebrews four, six verses four to six, Hebrews ten twenty six to twenty seven. These are all verses that the way they're worded, it's like yes, you can have a solid, secure relationship with God, but you've got to do your part. You've got to endure to the end. You've got to continue to walk in the faith. Otherwise, you may not have it, okay? So you've got verses on both sides. Now, just like there is a danger to the extreme Calvinistic view, what's the danger of an extreme Arminian view of believing that, you know, maybe you won't, even though you are saved, you could end up not being saved? What is the danger of an extreme, of the extreme of that view? A lack of grace, um, a lack of confidence, Okay, you'd be always wondering, well, am I saved or am I not? Every time, again, we're talking about the extreme, just like we talk about the extreme. Every time you sinned, it's like, oh my goodness, am I going to go to heaven? And maybe you heard people preach this. I know I have. I've known some people that kind of felt this way, and I don't think they realize what they're saying. It's like, man, you don't want to be caught sitting when Jesus comes back because you're not going to go. You know, and like our salvation is based on what we do. Now, is our salvation based on what we do? No, and we're going to get to that. But the way this extreme is often taught and preached, and sometimes it's used by parents to keep their kids in line or pastors to keep their congregation in line, it's like you better watch what you're doing because if Jesus comes back or if you die before you repent. You know what I'm saying? And this affects, we, we kind of laugh, but people take it seriously, but this also affects things like, you know, can people who commit suicide end up being in heaven? Lots of, I've heard people preach no because they're committing one of the ultimate sins of murder. It's murdering themselves. But is our salvation based on what we do or we don't do? That's a whole other issue. Maybe we'll get back to it. But Jose, you got a question or comment? Well, that's a whole different question, but I am going to answer it. Okay, that's not the same as when the Bible says thou shalt not murder. Okay, the Bible even talks about how God puts government uh, in place to hinder evil and that there are 
arms of the government, which include police, you know, that kind of stuff, or military that carry out the will of the government to hinder evil. And if that involves, you know, um, war, then it's not the same thing as when the Bible says thou shalt not kill because it's talking about murder. That's a, that's a very good question, though. Okay, you know, if you kill somebody in war, is that murder? And therefore, and then if you had to die, would you go to heaven and all that kind of stuff? Okay, so you know, the danger of this view taken to extreme is that you don't have any guarantee of salvation is permanent. You know, when I first became a Christian, you, most of you heard my testimony. I was ten years old, you know, and I'd say probably for the first year of my life. Every night before I'd go to sleep, which is still a good habit to do, but I did it for the wrong reason. Every night I'd go to sleep before I, before I go to sleep, I'd say, God, did I do anything wrong today? Did I sin somehow? Because I want to ask you to forgive me because I don't want to die before tomorrow morning and I don't go to heaven. You know, <laughs> Lord, please. I didn't understand the idea of security of the believer, of, of, of the security of our salvation. All right. And, um, but there are people that they take that very seriously. Okay. All right. So, you know, how would an Arminian respond to that idea of that? Well, you can never be secure. The, the idea would be that, no, you know, if somebody's really living for Jesus, okay, they're, because of what God's doing in their life, their love for God, they're not going to have that attitude because they're trying to live for God. All right. All right. I put this down as a balanced view. That's just my opinion. All right. It also is the view of the assemblies of God as a denomination. All right, and it's kind of like a mixture of both, which I think is pretty good because you've got scriptures that have both aspects in it. You've got the sovereignty of God, and you've got free will of man. And can I tell you that this is one of those things that to get a full understanding of how the sovereignty of God works together with the free will of man, where man still has choices, but yet God's still in control, it's stuff that it's teaching that you have to wrestle with and work your way through. All right, let me just read this quote from a document that they published called The Security of the Believer. It says, In the matter of the security of the believer, the General Council of the Assemblies of God stands between the extreme positions of Calvinism and Arminianism. It accepts the scriptural elements found in both teachings. The Calvinist stresses, rightly, God's sovereignty and divine prerogative, while the Arminian stresses, also rightly, man's free will and responsibility. The two positions, however, must be considered together if they're properly understood. So I've got four statements here um, that I think can help us understand this a little bit. Uh, um, and then we can draw our own conclusions. Like I said, you may leave tonight with the conclusion that what you believed all along or what you came in here believing is right, whichever side you're on. You may say, oh, I've got some things to think and pray about. <laughs> all right. The first one is this. God makes provision of salvation for every person. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is the area where I really struggle with the Calvinist viewpoint. Because the, at least the extreme Calvinist viewpoint, the basic Calvinist is that God chooses ahead of time who's going to be saved and who's not. But yet we have scripture that says God wants everybody to be saved. That's the verse I have down there first, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. And we're not going to read the rest of them, but you can look them up on your own. Luke 19.10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, which is who? Everybody. You know, John 3.16, we all know that one. God loved the whole world, sent Jesus to die for him. And he doesn't say just for half of them, part of them, the ones he decided ahead of time. You know, and a bunch of other ones. And each of those also emphasize that it's the person who would choose to respond. Again, both sides would agree that we don't come to God unless God draws us. It's the Calvinists would say he's only drawing certain people, whereas the Armenians would say he's drawing everybody. Okay? It's still up to God to do the drawing, but then we have a part to play because we have to make a choice. All right? But God's word says that God doesn't want anybody to be saved. So if God really doesn't want anybody to be saved, why are not Everybody saved. What'd you say, Carlton? Because we have choice. It's the free will thing. Okay, and again, that's the problem with the extreme Calvinism because they'd say we really don't have free will. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, um, is it because people have a choice? And scripture talks about choosing. It talks about making that step. All right? 
All right. The second one there is salvation is received and assured by faith. And this is so key. Our salvation is not based on what we do or don't do. That's why the thing that we kind of joked about, but yet take very seriously of, well, don't want to be in the middle of sin when Jesus comes back because I won't go or don't want to die in the middle of the night if I haven't confessed all my sins because I won't go to heaven. That's not what our salvation is based on. Our salvation is not based on our works and how perfectly we're living the Christian life. Our salvation is based on our relationship with God. And that relationship with God is based on faith, of God's grace and God's mercy. What Jesus did on the cross, he died to pay the price for our sins, and we're putting our trust in him. That's what faith is all about. And that's what saves us. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Okay? Uh, Philippians 3.9, Paul says, I'm looking forward to being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The other scriptures I have listed there, again, you can, if you want to dig more deeply into us, you can um, read those. 1 Peter 1.5, Romans 3.28, Galatians 2, verses 20 to 21, and Hebrews 10.38 all talk about the fact that we have a relationship with God because of our faith in him. All right, not what we do. But does that mean that what we do has no impact on our relationship with God? It does. Again, it's a balanced thing. We're not saved by our works, but if we're truly saved, our works will demonstrate it. Paul says that. James says that. John says that. In fact, John, in his letter, 1 John goes so far to say, if you're not trying to live for God, I don't think you're saved. Okay? If you're truly saved, it'll make a difference in your life. If there's not a difference in your life, you need to examine your heart. But he's not saying, unless you're perfect, you're not saved. We're all in different places in our walk. We all have different pressures, temptations. You know, we may fall, we may sin, but God's grace covers that. But we need to repent of it. You know, the verse I quote all the time during communion. It's one of my favorite verses. i got lots of favorite verses. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, First John, John, read John's letter, his first letter, First John, because he really hits hard. If you're not really trying to live right, you may not be saved. But don't go so far as to say, well, I'm good. You know, I don't have any sin in my life. We all have sin in our lives. Thank God we have a mediator with God. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, you know. He stands before God to intercede for us and and we confess our sins. He, he will forgive us. So there's that balance, that tension, all right, between if I'm truly saved, I'm going to do everything I can to live for God, but I'm not going to do it perfect. But that's okay. I pick myself back up. I come back to God. I repent. God forgives me because it's based on faith. And this is why, in my opinion, because you're not going to find a scripture verse that says, well, if somebody commits commits suicide, um, they're not going to heaven. Or if somebody commits suicide, they can go to heaven or whatever. But in my opinion, if you have someone who's a true believer in Jesus Christ, okay, they're truly saved. But for whatever reason, they're in an emotional state, whether they've been deceived by the enemy, they're battling mental, emotional uh, issues or whatever, and they end up committing suicide, I believe they'll go to heaven if they truly were a believer. Okay? Now, you can disagree with me, and that's fine. We can just agree to disagree, and when we get to heaven, we'll find out. All right? So, but our salvation is received and assured by faith. And that's where we deal with the objection of a Calvinist might would make of saying, well, the Armenians can't ever be sure that they're saved. Well, yes, we can. I'm putting my trust in God because I've asked Jesus to forgive me on the basis of what he's did, done, and I'm doing my, I am trying as best I can to live for him. All right. I'm not out there doing my own thing saying, oh, it doesn't really matter because I said my prayer. I'm really trying to live. And that's what scripture says is all I need to do. Okay. Yes. That's right. That's right. God cannot look on sin. Sin can't be in God's presence, but that's why we need Jesus. You know, it's the, is it 2 Corinthians 5.21 or 1 Corinthians 5.21 that says that Jesus trades us his righteousness for our sin. He took our sin on the cross. We can have his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' righteousness. Yeah, yeah. Number three, salvation is an ongoing conflict with temptation and sin. 
And it's a conflict, it's a battle, it's a fight that we need to fight. Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be... I read this one earlier in conjunction with a different point, but take care, brothers, lest there be in you any... lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold on to our original confidence firm to the end. In other words, we're saved. We don't have to doubt that. And that's one thing is true of Christianity that I've been told is not true of any other religion. They don't know. They won't know till they get there whether they're going to get to heaven. We can know because it's not based on us. But we still need to live it out. Okay? There's where the balance is. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Okay? The, the writer, he said, we're, we're, we're Christians. we got all these witnesses. Okay? These, these people who have gone before us, they're cheering us on. All right? Our responsibility is we got to keep on living for Jesus. Got to get rid of the junk in our lives. And then there's a bunch of other scriptures that uh, say very similar things about that this life is still a battle, and we've got to do our best to battle sin and to deal with it. Romans one thirty two, Romans three verses five to eight, First Corinthians three verses one to three and five to eight, First Corinthians five nineteen to thirteen, First John one eight and First John three eight. All those are talking about. We will wrestle with sin. And it's our responsibility to keep wrestling. Don't just give up. Give in. All right? Number four. And this is the one that is strictly Arminian. It would not be Calvinist. Salvation may be forfeited or abandoned by willfully rejecting Christ. Let me just read you a couple uh, more verses here that seem to give the support to that. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. What else could depart from the faith mean other than you had faith, but now you've decided to walk away from it? And in this case, it's because we choose to believe false teaching. All right? 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 and 15. He's talking, Paul's talking to Timothy about how to treat widows and all that kind of stuff. But he says, but refuse to enroll younger widows. He's talking about, Timothy, make a list of widows so you can take good care of them. Okay? But he says, if they're too young, you probably don't need to because they're going to get remarried anyway. But anyway, he says, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. For some have already strayed after Satan. Now, please don't misunderstand what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that if you are widowed at a young age and you get remarried, you're following after Satan. He's talking about young ladies that got widowed at a young age and they have left their faith to pursue an immoral lifestyle, okay, because of their passions, all right? It is perfectly fine for a younger widow to get remarried to a believer and serve God together. <laughs> then this would not be true. But the words that he uses here, he says their passions... Following those passions, draw them away from Christ. They incur condemnation. They've abandoned their faith. And some have strayed after Satan. Luke 8, 13, the story of Jesus, the parable of Jesus about the seed that is sown. And he talks about the seed that's sown on the path that doesn't even take root. Birds take it away. That would symbolize people that they hear the message. They never even take it in, never even respond. The second kind of soil... It's called the soil on the rock, but it's actually talking about the shallow soil because it's soil on top of the rock. And it it um, it uh, grows roots and it flourishes for a while, but the roots are very shallow because of the rock underneath it. And when the sun beats down, it dies. Okay, there's no depth to it. So Jesus is explaining that parable about that particular part, Luke 8, 13. And the ones on the rock or the shallow soil are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. It says they believe for a while. Taking it at face value, they believe as they believe. Now Calvinists would say, well, they believe the word was true, but it wasn't really a life-changing, you know what I'm saying? Now please understand, 
Calvinists have explanations for verses like this. Arminians have explanations for the other verses. I just believe there should be a, there's a balance between the two. Again, the balance between God's sovereignty and man's free will. John chapter 15, the very beginning of it, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he has this whole thing about how I'm the vine, you're the branches, and you need to be connected to me. That's where your life comes from. And as you are connected to me and you live out your life, you bear fruit and all this kind of stuff. All right? And he talks about how the God, how God will prune the branches that are not very productive, so they'll be more productive. All right? But in the process, he also says that God will cut off branches that are not productive. John 15, 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. To me, when I read that whole passage, it's talking about believers who've made a commitment to Christ. They're in connection with Jesus. Whereas someone else might say, Well, some really know Jesus and some don't. Yeah, it says they're connected and they can be cut off, but that's not really talking about believers. And to me, that just doesn't make any sense. Just just saying from my perspective. Um, so anyway, there's some other uh, examples there, some other scriptures. 2 Peter 2, verses 20 to 21. Hebrews 6, verses 4 to 6. Hebrews 10, 26 to 27, verse 38. And 1 John 5, 16. So probably pretty pretty easy to determine where I kind of fall in this thing and where the Assemblies of God does, and that is that we're not Calvinist, okay? We don't believe once saved, always saved, that God is the one that predetermines and draws, and we don't really have a choice of it. But we're not extreme Arminians either, but we do believe in the Assemblies of God that it is possible for someone to have a relationship with Christ, and they would choose to walk away from it. Say, so what do you do with all those scriptures? Say, well, you can't yank them out of God's hands, and what can separate us from the love of God and all that kind of stuff? Um, my understanding of that is that that's talking about there's nothing outside of ourselves that can take us away from God. I like to illustrate it this way. If you have a marriage that's the way God wants it to be, you've got a husband and wife, they committed themselves to each other for all of life, and it should not be broken, and it is firm commitment, and you have both that are working, doing everything they can to be committed to one another, to look out for one another, to make their marriage work. They can have all kinds of stuff that'll come against them from the outside. And it's not going to, it'll affect them, you know, and they got to respond to it the right way, but they're going to be married. They've got a solid, firm relationship. But if one of those married partners decide, you know what, I think I'm going to do my own thing. They stop pouring into the relationship. Even if they don't do anything bad, but they stop doing the good and things begin to get cold and, and eventually it gets this, there's no relationship left and it can lead to divorce. Okay? That relationship is broken. I look at our salvation being similar to that. There's no perfect illustration of a marriage. God and our relationship. God is fully and firmly committed to his relationship with us. He will never do anything to break it, and he will do everything he can to keep it solid. And if we as believers say, yes, God saved me by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, because Jesus died for me, I by faith have entered into a relationship, I'm going to do everything I can to live out that relationship. Our relationship with God is solid, it's secure, we don't have to doubt whether we're saved or not. But if we decide, well, I think I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. I'm just going to pursue sin. I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to, you know, whatever, believe false teaching like the one scripture says, and we walk away from that relationship, we still have the choice. God's not going to chain us to himself. We could walk away from it. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, when there is a marriage situation and it ends up being over, it doesn't happen in an instant of time, right? It's a process. And, and I think that's the way it is for, for, for believers. You say, well, where is that line? Where is that place where, if, if this is possible, where is that place where a person who's truly a believer decides to walk away from that life, walk away from that relationship, and they're no longer a believer? And I would say, I don't know. That's between God and that individual. Only God knows their heart as to when they've abandoned that relationship. But that's why I said at the very beginning, I don't like the term 
can a Christian lose their salvation? It's not something you just lose. You've misplaced. You've kind of, it's a choice. Sometimes it's choice after choice after choice after choice after choice. But here's the thing that's interesting is that practically speaking, it really doesn't matter which way you believe in this particular situation. What do I mean by that? I've got a really good friend. Um, most of you know we're chaplains at Sonny's, and he was the manager there. His name is Charles. And uh, he's a good, solid Baptist preacher kid. And uh, he's actually a preacher himself now. And he backslid. And he recommitted his life to Christ a number of years ago. As a Baptist, he would say, well, I was saved during that entire time. And thank God he came back to Christ. All right. And we have discussions about this whole thing, you know, and about that, you know, I know people that I really believe they really, really committed to Christ, family members, friends of mine, but they're not living for God now. They say they don't even know if they believe in God or not. I really believe they were saved. And he would say, well, they probably just were never really saved. Or God's going to bring them back. And, and we do pray that that happens, right? But here's the thing. If a person is not right with Jesus, does it matter whether they've never known him or they knew him at one time and now they don't? No, they need Jesus, okay? So whether you fall on the Calvinistic side or the Arminian side, if you know people that don't know Jesus, do everything you can to lead them to Jesus. Whether they never had a relationship with Jesus or they claim to or somebody thinks they eventually at one time had a relationship with Jesus, if they're not right with Jesus right now, they need Jesus. And that needs to be what our focus is. I think too often in the history of the church, people get too focused on theological arguments and they miss out on the whole thing. We've got to reach this world. you know. And this is one of those areas where it would be very, very uh, easy to do that. I like this quote. A believer's relationship with God is not a revolving door. But if a Christian reaches a place where they've turned their back on God and they're no longer trusting God, trusting in Christ for salvation, they forfeited their salvation. So uh, two things that we need to do. Number one, make sure you're truly saved. Make sure you're truly saved. And by that, I'm not trying to plant doubt in anyone's heart. From everything we've talked about tonight, you can know that you're saved. If you're trusting in Jesus, you're trying to live for him, you're not doing it perfect, but that's okay, you're saved. But even Paul said, if you're not sure, you need to examine your heart. Even John said, if you think you're saved and you're not trying to please God, you might want to re-examine that. But if you're trusting in Christ by faith and you're trying to live for him, you can have full assurance that you're saved, but make sure you're truly saved. You're not just saying, well, I know I'm going to be good to go because my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. That's not how it works. You know, I know I'm good to go because my mama was a Christian and my grandma was a Christian and they prayed for me. No. I know I'm good to go because my husband's a Christian or my wife's a Christian. No. You have to make your own response to God's drawing and put your trust in Christ. So make sure you're truly saved and make sure you're passionately living for God. Make sure you're passionately living for God. I want to close with this scripture, 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 11. Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Basically, he's saying the same thing Paul said when he was talking about the fruits of the Spirit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit in your life as you cooperate with the Spirit, you, you, you begin to develop more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. He says, do everything you can to grow in your character and to become that person God created you to be. He goes on to say in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and increasing... He doesn't say, if you're perfect in these areas. He says, no, if you're pursuing living for God, being that man, being that woman God created you to be, and it's growing, you're increasing, you're growing, okay? They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the king, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what is Peter saying here? He says, you want to go to heaven? You want a relationship with God? Commit your life to him based on what Jesus did, not what you're doing, but then give it everything you've got to continue to grow. He says, if that's your attitude, you will never fall. There's the security of the believer. You will never fall, okay? 
and you'll be richly provided for an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. Well, I don't know if I changed anybody's mind, if anybody's mind needed to be changed. As I said, uh, ultimately, it's important what you believe about everything and your understanding of God's word. And it is important that you know what you believe about this issue. But the main thing we need to focus on and we need to agree with, whether it's anybody else in this room or our brothers and sisters in Christ that go to other churches that look at things differently, is we need to agree that there are lost people that need Jesus. Whether they ever knew him at one time and now they don't, or, well, no, it just looked like they did, but they never really did, but they need Jesus. And we need to reach them for their sake so that they can have the relationship that we have with Jesus. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had to look at this theological issue that people will be discussing from now till we all get to heaven and then you can straighten us all out because probably nobody has it 100% exactly right. God, I thank you that you are sovereign and you actively work in our lives to draw us to yourself. I thank you, Lord God, that your spirit did that and that you gave us the opportunity to respond. God, I pray if there's anybody in this room tonight or maybe listening to this at a later time, and Lord, you've been drawing them, but they've never really made that decision, or maybe they thought they were okay because they were trying to be good, and just based on that goodness, God, may their minds be totally clear on the truth of your word and their hearts drawn to you to realize that they need to put their trust in Jesus, not themselves, and the fact that he died for their sins, not that they're so good, and may they choose to do that. And God, I pray you'd help each and every one of us to just live for you with passion, Lord. We have more passion some days than others, and, and we're more enthusiastic some days more than others. But Lord, help us to always pursue that desire. We want to please Jesus. And God, when we mess up because we do and we will, God, may our hearts be convicted so we can come to you and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Help me, Lord God, to walk in victory. And thank you for your forgiveness. God, we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.